And as they are leaving, I want to encourage you tonight, make plans to be here Sunday morning. Uh, Jason is going to be preaching on how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. And uh, we need to know this. We need to be reminded of that. Um, because if we fail to, to grasp that and understand that, it will mess up our life. It will mess up our living for the Lord. Uh, we need to understand how the Holy Spirit works. So please make plans to be with us Sunday morning. Uh, if you have offering, thank you, Eileen, Jason. If you'll pass around the plate, go ahead and turn in your word to Mark chapter 10. And we are going to be in verses 28 uh, through 34. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 34. Eileen's over there, Jason. You missed her. There you go. <laughs> there you go. If you're there, say amen. I'm going to go ahead and start reading uh, with verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man who has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands uh, with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many who are first shall be last and the last first. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and he began to tell them, what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. This is the... I believe this is the fifth time that Jesus is telling the disciples of what is going to take place here shortly. And having witnessed, uh, I want to remind you again that this is right after all that happened with the rich young ruler. And if you haven't been here throughout our teaching of Mark, I encourage you to go back uh, and watch it from the beginning. I don't know the exact start date of this series but I'm guessing it's been about seven months, maybe, something like that. I don't know, but you could go back and look um, so that you're up to speed with what we're talking about. But having witnessed the rich young ruler going away sad because he was very rich and having heard the Lord's explanation of the matter, that if you look at verse 10, um, I mean at chapter 10, verse 23, you'll remember what was said, and Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter in to the kingdom of God. Then in verse 25, he goes on to say, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. See, the disciples think they may have succeeded where the rich young ruler had failed. 
What did Jesus tell him to do? Peter, again, acting as a spokesman for the 12, says in verse 28, we just read it, uh, basically, look what all we've left, Lord. Peter began to say unto him, lo, we have left it all, and we followed you. See, we succeeded, Lord, trying to convince the Lord that they were good enough. They had done enough. They had left it all to follow him. Now, that was true in a sense, uh, because Peter and John had left the family fishing business, which made them quite a good living. Um, and Matthew, the tax collector, had left um, his source of income because he sat uh, at the seat of customs and collected taxes as people would come by. So Peter uh, makes an appeal to the Lord and is convincing him or attempting to convince him, we have left it all for you, Lord. We have left it all to follow you. Now, we have to pause and, and think for a moment what's behind that statement that Peter made. Uh, I want you to think about that for a moment because it's important that we don't take things uh, on a superficial level right here. Uh, we need to understand the motivation for what? the apostle Peter had just said to the Lord. Now, some people might think that his motivation was sincere, that he truly felt like he had given up all to follow the Lord. And he was just exclaiming that uh, in light of what had happened with the rich young ruler walking away sad uh, because he wasn't willing to give up his riches. He wasn't willing to give up his possessions. But they had in their minds. They we're thinking they had given it all up, right? But I want to ask you a question. If you think that that was his motivation, and if you were sincere in giving up everything for the Lord, would you say it the way Peter did in verse 28? Would you say, Lord, we've left all and followed you? See, in Matthew 19, 27, uh, Peter's words in the same context as this, but Matthew records a little bit more. Uh, it says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. This part right here. What shall we have therefore? Okay, so now we're thinking maybe on a different track. See, uh, right here it seems to be sort of a selfish motivation and what Peter is saying, what he's uh, presenting to the Lord, I don't think it was a sincere, uh, sincere statement that he made. Maybe it was smugness. Uh, maybe it was Peter saying, well, we've done all that the rich man, you know, could not do. We have arrived. We gave it all up and followed you. And that may well be the motivation. Maybe also he was seeking affirmation from the Lord. Maybe he was looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, aren't we special for all that we've given up uh, to follow you? Maybe he wanted like a spiritual pat on the back or something from Jesus. Because sometimes we get in those places and we just want somebody to recognize the good things that we've done, right? We do. We've all been there from time to time. It's as if he's saying, Lord, we've sacrificed a lot for you. Lord, look at what we've given up for you. See, the rich man couldn't do it, but look at what we've given up. Right here, we're seeing self-righteousness at its best. I mean, to the very face of their Lord and Savior. Well, Lord, we've given everything up to follow you. 
See, this was really self-pity, and it's borne out by what Matthew records. He's saying, Lord, what are we going to get out of this? Right? What, uh, what shall we have there for? We've given it all up, so what, what are we going to get in return for following you? What are we going to get in return? Peter well may have been thinking that the rich young ruler seemed to be a little bit better off than they were. Because he still had his possessions. He had all of his land. He had all of his riches. And here they have given everything up. And he's wanting to know, what are we going to get out of it? Now, if that's the case, and I believe it is, we have to say that Peter's speaking on the behalf of the twelve, as he most of the time did. He was uh, speaking of the fact that, and letting us know that they had missed the point again. And uh, as I said from the get-go, if you've not been in the teachings on Mark, you can go back throughout this entire gospel and you can see time after time where the disciples just missed it. They missed it, even though Jesus was so careful and and he was so purposeful in his teaching and and trying to be one-on-one with them and tell them exactly what was going on, they still missed it. How many times have we missed it? How many times has the Lord tried to to drop something in our spirit, opened our eyes to things, even confirmed it with his word, and we still miss it? So before we come down too hard on the disciples, we always need to turn it back on ourselves, right? And make sure we're we're right, we're we're on the right course. So at this point... Uh, Jesus was trying to teach them, and if you remember again from a few weeks ago, uh, the point of the rich young ruler was that the Lord didn't want all that the man had. He didn't want all of his goodness, but he wanted him to admit his badness. He wanted the rich young ruler to admit, Lord, I need you. I have everything this world has to offer, but the one thing I'm lacking is you, Lord. It's you, and you know here tonight That you can have everything this world has to offer, but if you don't have Jesus, you ain't got nothing. And I know that's bad English. But you don't. You don't have anything if you don't have the Lord. He wanted, the Lord wanted him to bring his self-righteousness, his love of riches. He wanted his brokenness. That's what the Lord desired. Then Jesus could do what was impossible for that young man to do for himself. Remember, he was obsessed with what he could do. Look back at Mark 10, 17. If you just want to, we can refresh our minds. It says, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do? There's the problem. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I'm here to tell you tonight, and this is what Jesus wanted him to realize. He couldn't do anything, and neither can you and I, to inherit eternal life. It is a free gift given by the Lord Jesus Christ. All we can do is receive it by faith. We can't do anything. So we've got to get self out of the way. Could it be that the disciples had fallen into the same trap as the rich rich young ruler? And I believe that's true. We have done. That's what they said. We've done all of this. We have left every, every, we've done it all, Lord. 
Do you hear that? Do you hear the self-righteousness in these remarks? They're thinking, we've done this difficult thing. What difficult thing? Well, what the Lord asked the rich young ruler to do, um, to leave everything behind. That was in uh, 10.21. It says, And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So the disciples, through Peter, are saying, We've done this. We did exactly what you are asking. So now, what are we going to get out of it? Tell us, Lord, what have we given up everything for? So what's our reward? What's my cut of the deal, basically? Again, I think they're missing the trees for the forest, right? You've heard that saying, because we've got to understand that the Lord here is not interested uh, with the specifics of what the disciples were giving up for him. He's not interested with the specifics of what we give up for him. The lesson of the rich young ruler is that he wants brokenness first. He desires that we be broken first. He wants us to give up our own self-righteousness. He wants effectively us to give up ourselves to him. That's what the Lord wanted the rich young ruler to do. He wasn't, again, interested in his riches, in his land, in his possessions. He wanted his heart. He wants your heart tonight. See, what the Lord is saying to us through these passages is, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. I want you. I want all of you. That's got to be first. That's got to come first. Um, David Legay said it this way. He ties these two together, and it, it makes perfect sense. The example of the churches in Macedonia who gave liberally to the saints of God. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians um, 8 and 5, uh, as they did, uh, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You see, these people had realized that once I give my heart to the Lord, anything else that is asked of me, it's not a sacrifice. It's a privilege. We've got to get that tonight. If we've truly given ourselves, if we've truly given our heart to the Lord, anything else that we're asked to do, it's not a sacrifice. See, we like to say that and think that in our minds because that produces pride in our heart, makes us feel good like we have sacrificed, but we've got to, to get it as the church in Macedonia got it. We are always to give out of our own need. And then the Lord will pay us back greater than we could ever imagine. When he has our heart, everything else we have, it's just a privilege. It's an honor. And I know um, years ago, I can't remember where we were, but a, a husband and wife pastor, they were talking about they would open up their house and just let people come in and they would have church and all this stuff. And they even, their doors were unlocked at their home, and they had people come in and steal from them, people who would come in acting as if they were coming for prayer or, you know, for things like that, and they would notice things gone. And they, I mean, they were so sincere, and they would, with smiles on their faces, we just counted all joy. 
Because everything that we have, the Lord gave us anyway. And if somebody's going to take it, he'll give it back. He'll give it back even better. And, uh, and I guess that's kind of been my uh, resolve or my uh, excuse for leaving my car unlocked at times. I'm trying to get better at that. But we have got to really understand that once the Lord truly has our heart, anything else we can do for him is not sacrifice. It is an honor and it is a privilege to be able to do it for the Lord. Not to allow self-righteousness and pride to rise up in us, but to give. They had already given up themselves in brokenness to the Lord, so any other sacrifice or thing that was asked of them was nothing in comparison to their initial surrender. So the first question we have to ask ourselves tonight is, have we truly surrendered it all to him? Have we truly surrendered our hearts and our lives completely and totally to him. And if we truly have, and I believe this is a daily thing that we have to do because our nature is to hold on to things, material things, our possessions, that when things come up and when things happen, it's not going to knock us off our rocker. Okay, Lord, this happened, but you're going to fix it. You're going to allow something better to even come my way. I mean, that has to be our resolve. That has to be our heart. He cares for his church. He cares for his children. He cares for the smallest thing that concerns you. It concerns him. So when something is ripped away from you and you feel like it's just been taken and it's not fair, when your heart's given to the Lord completely, you've totally surrendered, oh, it is well with my soul, Lord. It is well, Lord. We've got to get to that because I'm going to tell you tonight, there's going to be more things taken from us. There's going to be more freedoms taken from us. But the one thing they can never take is Jesus. That is the one thing and that is the only thing that matters. See, we get in such uproars and we get so upset over things that we feel like are being stripped from us. But it doesn't matter in the end because we win. We win Jesus. So we've got to constantly refocus and and get our eyes on him and not on the things and the cares of this world because they will consume you. All the while, Jesus is saying, let me consume you. And all this stuff, it'll just fade away. It's not even going to matter. And you're truly going to be able to say, it is well with my soul. It is well. Charlotte likes to say it a lot, and I'm going to quote it wrong. She'll say, um... It is well, and those things that aren't well shall be well. It is well with my soul. And we've got to get to that place. We all do. And again, it is a daily thing. So let's go back quickly to verse 28 in light of what uh, we've just said and talking about that. When you read this again, Peter said, Lo, we have left all and have followed you. You can hear now the self-pity in his voice. We've left it all, Lord, and followed you. So what are you going to give us? You see, I think Peter and the disciples, again, hadn't learned. If you have given up on yourself and given your broken self to the Lord, here is the message today. Again, there's no real sacrifices 
when you've given yourself to the Lord. There's no real sacrifices, and that goes on into the teaching in verses 29 and 30. Uh, and we'll read that again quickly. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Notice that's the thing that was missing from verse 29 that appears in verse 30. With persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. See, we hear this now. We see this list being laid out. The Lord is responding again with the message of the cross. That's what we hear being responded to, the gospel of the cross, the gospel of the suffering saint. And he's teaching them again the way of the cross. You see, many uh, had to lose their families, had to walk away from their families when they accepted Jesus Christ. But what they gained was the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord. They gained a house. Maybe, uh, and I know we have from time to time, we've given shelter to those in need, those of the household of the faith. We've given possessions to them just to help them. That's what the body of Christ does. That's what we do for one another. So when we think, oh, we've given it all up, no, we haven't because God is so good that he always blesses when we give, we, we give and he pours in. We give and he pours in. That's how it works. And it says he blesses us a hundredfold. That's 10,000 times better. So why do we hold on so tightly to things of this world when we would just keep our hands open? Keep our hands open. Why? Because he's going to keep filling them. He's going to keep filling with whatever we give. He's going to fill it back up. So he's telling them then, and then, like I said, with persecutions, he adds in verse 30 here. Oh, we've learned by watching the life of Jesus, what he suffered, what what he went through, where he's going right now in our text to the cross, the persecutions. Hey, nothing that you and I are ever going to have to go through will compare to what Jesus did on the cross for us. Again, we are to count it all joy. Oh, well, I'm so upset with what the government's doing, and I am too. But as believers, count it all joy and realize he's coming back soon and very soon. He's coming for his bride. This should be exciting times for the believer. All the while, we're praying for the lost, praying for lost souls. But then at the end, we see that we receive eternal life. So nothing in this world can compare to eternal life. Peter, what you've given up doesn't even compare to what you're going to receive if you will keep your faith anchored in me. If you will follow hard after me, not getting caught up in the world. See, they're still thinking that Jesus is going to set up his kingdom right then and there. They still haven't got it. They still think he's just, Lord, you're not going to die on the cross. You're you're the Messiah. You're the king. You're going to set it up and you're going to restore Israel. That was still their mindset. And I think it's a lot of the mindset of the church too. Do we really truly believe that he's coming back? 
Or do we believe that life is just going to continue on as usual, as normal? I'm going to tell you, we're not going back to normal. If that life was ever normal to begin with. We're not going back to that. But as a child of God, we are going forward in Christ Jesus. And whatever comes our way, it is well with our soul. Why? Because he's gone before us. That is the title of the message tonight. He goes before us. He's already prepared the way for us. So what do we have to fear? We have nothing to fear. Then in verses 32 through 34, again, these verses occurred as Jesus and his disciples were walking toward Jerusalem. And the the part that jumped out at me, and that's why I titled the, the service, is Jesus went before them. We need to be encouraged tonight that he's already gone before us. That there's not one thing that's going to pass through our lives that hasn't first passed through his hands. That he hasn't first made a way. He's already made a way out. Even if you're in the middle of the most heated, hottest battle you've ever been in, Maybe you're in a place to where you just, you don't know, you don't feel him, you don't sense anything. He's already gone before you. He's already made a way. Uh, My heart was so broken and thrilled at the same time that for two nights now, Gemma has come into the bedroom, and with such a sincerity, she puts her hand on me and looks at me and says, Mom, I don't feel the Lord moving in my life. Nine years old. I haven't cried at the altar. Nine years old. To say those words. I don't think the Lord, I haven't felt the Lord moving in my life. And I went on to encourage her for two nights in a row now. Gemma, even when we don't feel it, he's working. He's always working. And and not every time are we going to cry at the altar. Sometimes it's good and it feels good. But when the tears don't come, he's still God. He's still able. He's still working. We've got to remind ourselves of this. That he's gone before us. He's already made a way. Even when we can't see it, we don't feel it. It doesn't look like there's a way there. It's there. That's called faith. Believing, even if we can't see, even if we can't hear it, we don't feel it, but we believe. We see Jesus out in front leading his man. We see Jesus going where no other man could go, about to do what no other man could do. We see Jesus blazing the trail for all of those who will receive him by faith. See, the phrase Jesus went before them is in present tense. This means that Jesus kept going and going and he hasn't stopped going and going before his children. He goes before us to the Father. He's our mediator. He is interceding on our behalf right now at this very moment. So whatever's going through our little minds right now that's concerning us, he's interceding to the Father on our behalf. He's going before us as he led the way for them. It's a picture of a man whose face is set. It's a picture of a man whose mind is made up. It's the picture of a man who is determined to go somewhere and who refuses to be distracted from his mission. It's a picture of a man who has his mind made up. This is the Savior 
that we're talking about in these verses. He has his mind fixed on some things, and he's determined to carry out his mission. What was he focused on? Well, it says that they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. They were headed to the capital of Israel. They were going to the place where the temple resided. Uh, They were traveling the same road that many pilgrims had traveled on their way to make the sacrifice over and over again. They were walking the same path that millions of others had walked down. They were headed to a specific place. We are told that they were going up to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was located in the mountains of Israel. So they were going up. And that's always been a a spiritual reference. We're going up. We're going up to the high places. They were going up to where God himself had dwelled in the temple. They were going up to those high places. But um, one thing that I'm pretty sure of is I'm convinced that Jesus didn't have on his mind going to see the city. He didn't have on his mind going to see uh, all the things that were going on that day. I'm convinced that Jesus had on his mind a little hill called Golgotha. He had on his mind Calvary. That's what he was consumed with. That's what he was focused on. His mind was on the place where he would offer himself up as the final, perfect, eternal sacrifice for you and for me. He had his mind on that place where all sin would be atoned for once and for all, every day of his life, every step of his ministry, every miracle, every sermon, every single thing that Jesus did while he was here on this earth served to bring him to that hill. Calvary was his destiny. All the while, all 33 and a half years that he was here, Calvary was his destiny. Calvary was his mission. Calvary was his goal. And Calvary was the central of his mind. And he walked toward Jerusalem that day. He walked toward Jerusalem that day. Jesus knew that when he arrived at Calvary, that an age-old plan would be accomplished. Jesus knew that at Calvary, the prophecies of the old time prophets would be fulfilled. Jesus knew that at Calvary, the just demands of a holy God would be met. Jesus knew that when the events that would take place on Calvary were accomplished, God Almighty would be satisfied and a lost sinner, just like me, could be saved. I am so thankful for Calvary. I am so thankful that his mind was made up. Even though he knew all that awaited him when he got there, he still went. See, that's what kept him going, the hope of redemption for all of mankind. And I know how it breaks my heart, and it must break the heart of the Father. I can't even imagine because of the price that he paid and how many reject. How many walk away? How many don't want anything to do with it? But all the while, it kept him going. It didn't stop him. We can't understand the cross and the death of Jesus 
misunderstand that the cross and the death of Jesus was not some unfortunate accident. The death of Jesus on the cross was not plan B. The death of Jesus was planned long ago before this world was ever created. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, for me. It's always been the plan. It's always been in the mind of God. See, his death was promised to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. His death was pictured in the coats of skin God made to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. That was the first sacrifice. That, that paved the way, telling us that a sacrifice would be made one day that would completely take away our sins. His death was pictured in every sacrifice and offering in the tabernacle in the temple. His death was the theme of the Old Testament prophets. It's always had to be this way. It wasn't just something new, some new plan. Jesus and his death on the cross would accomplish what all the millions of gallons of blood that was shed under the Old Testament system had failed to do. His death would accomplish what Adam's fig leaves could never have done. His death on the cross would fully, eternally, and perfectly pay for the sins of all of those who would place their faith solely and completely in him. See, before Jesus was born, an angel told Joseph in Matthew 1.21, it says, And he shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why he came. That is why he came. It's the only reason why he came. He came to die. Jesus came to this world with people on his mind who, well, all those who would believe on him and be saved, all those who would be given to him by the Father, all those chosen in him before the foundations of the world. He had his mind on all those who would bow before the Father and confess Jesus as their Savior. He died for all those who would believe the gospel message. In other words, if you're saved, if you will ever be saved, you were on his mind that day when he went up to Jerusalem. See, that old song is not just a saying, it is true that while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. We were on his mind the whole time. Even in the going up, that's what kept him going. It was a, a supernatural, unconditional love that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. But it kept him going. That's the only way a man could have survived that. It's the only way. He was determined. We are told that they were amazed. They were astonished, but they were also frightened. Um, why? Because there was something in his demeanor that caused the men to be filled with fear. See, there was something about the resolve in the eyes of Jesus that filled the men with fear. The disciples are afraid for Jesus, but guess what? They're afraid for themselves also. They knew that the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. Jesus had several 
encounters with them, with the Jewish leaders, and we've discussed these accounts week after week. They're upset by his miracles, and the one that has made them so upset up to this point was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That just infuriated them. Why? Because it proved 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was who he said he was, and that angered them. That cemented that hate and that evil in their hearts, and they knew we've got to kill him. He must die. They had made threats before to stone him already. So the disciples knew this, and they were amazed that Jesus seemed determined to march to his death, right? They, They were confounded by that. I would imagine that they tried to talk him out of it. I'm certain they tried to change his mind, but every attempt failed, and Jesus continued to march forward to his date with death. Isaiah 50 and verse 7 confirms that it was predicted, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He knew he had the help of the Father all the way, all the while. Even though they were afraid, even though they can't talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem, even though they want to run away, guess what? They continue to follow him. What a testimony. They continued to follow him. John 11 and 16 kind of sums it up. It says, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto the fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Are we that consecrated, that determined, that surrendered to to the Lord, to his ways, to his will, that we will follow him even if it means our death? We've talked about this for several weeks here and there. There could very possibly come a day in the near future to where we're given that ultimatum, up ultimatum, denounce him or die. What are we going to do? We have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Now, I believe with all my heart that the Lord's going to rapture his people out of here. I believe that. But the evil that we see going on right now and we think it's bad, I can't even begin to imagine how bad it's going to be once we are raptured out of here. So we're going to, I believe we're going to face some dark days, darker days than we've ever seen. But through it all, he's faithful. He's going to help us all the way, even to the very end. See, it's hard to find people today with that kind of resolve that will follow Jesus, even if it means death. For most people in the church today, a word spoken out of turn, a little pleasure, a little inconvenience, a little trouble, and the average church member is done with following Jesus. I'm done with this. That's not what I signed up for. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought following Jesus would pay off big for me. I've had to give up too much. It just costs too much. Those are kinds of things that people say today. So where are the people who will follow Jesus, even if his path leads you? to your death. Where are the people who are determined to follow him regardless of their cause? Now I want you to know that Jesus was concerned that they were afraid. He didn't 
discredit or dismiss their fears, but he addressed their fears. We know that we're important to him. We all have doubts and fears, but we also have a Lord who cares about what concerns us. Oh, in fact, we're told in the word that what touches us touches him. That's found in Hebrews. We have a high priest. He cares for us. He's concerned and he invites us to bring all of our fears to him. See, tonight we can't allow our fears, our doubts, our concerns to derail us. But tonight we need to bring them to Jesus. We need to uh, bring them to Jesus and find a friend who is able to help us deal with them. And I just want to close. I just want to read the words. And Noah, you can come on up here. I want to read the words of a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble everywhere? Yes, everywhere and anywhere. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So tonight, I just want you, as you stand to your feet, there's a lot of things going on in this world that can grip our hearts with fear before we even realize it. But tonight, be encouraged. He's gone before us. He's gone before us. He's made a way. And those things that are troubling you tonight, those things that may be concerning to you tonight, I want you to bring them to him. I want you to lay it at his feet and trust that he is going to perfect it. He's going to work it out. And all we have to do is believe him for it. See, it was unbelief that kept the children of Israel for receiving, for entering into the promised land. Don't let unbelief keep you tonight from receiving what the Lord has for you. So tonight as they play, I'm just going to ask you to respond. Take it to the Lord tonight.
ourselves we've got to re-anchor our faith because somehow we've stood at the bow of the boat and we started pulling the anchor up thinking oh yeah this looks good over here but the Lord says no go back put that anchor down again and stay at the foot of the cross there and there alone was our victory won was everything that we will ever have need of given to us we stay in the way we came in by simple faith and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your word that's going forth. I pray that it continue to sink deep into the hearts of your children, Lord. God, that you would continue, Lord, to remind us that no matter what we face, you've gone before us. You've made that path straight. If we will just continue to evidence our faith in you, Lord, you will not fail us, you will not forsake us, but you will see us through. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Don't forget, tomorrow, Liz's house, have a little talk with Jesus at 1 p.m. And Bible school this weekend. Please bring your children, your children's children, your neighbor's kids, whoever. Just get them here. Friday at 6.30. Love you guys.